0: You're listening to the Bible Teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com.
1: Our text today is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, and again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua has given them rest, God will not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that none may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today is
0: um, part two on the topic of Sabbath rest. Last week, I gave a biblical theology of the topic of rest, which means we retrace the theme all throughout the Bible, showing how it develops from the very beginning and reaches its highest point in Jesus, who said, come to me and I will give you rest. As we see in this passage, Joshua, one of the leaders of the Old Testament, He gave the people their first rest as he led them into Canaan. But as we see here, Jesus provides final rest as he welcomes us into eternity with God. A place of never-ending goodness, abundance, fulfillment, peace, and joy. Last week was about getting the background for this passage and casting a vision for rest. Today, what I want to do is I want to focus on our relationship to this Rest. We're told in verse 1, look with me again, the promise of entering his rest still stands. So this is not an issue for the history books. We're not content to just look back and say, oh, it happened. No, rest is still on offer. The vision of the gospel is that what has been lost is not lost forever. Situations of complete shutdown brokenness ruin hopelessness can be made new why because of the resurrection of jesus and it's really clear humanity failed humanity failed to enter that rest they blew it you've blown it but god's promise still remains and there's an invitation here being extended to us today today Today, today, today is the refrain of this passage. The good news has come to us today just as it came to prior generations who failed to enter it. It still remains for some to enter that rest. The door is open for us to come in. But I think for many of us, we know that this rest seems really out of reach. I, I shared some statistics last week that, About three out of five U.S. adults say that they feel more tired now than they've ever felt before. 55% of adults surveyed said that no amount of rest helps them feel rested. And so a majority, if this is true of us, a majority of us are sensing a fatigue and an exhaustion that runs deeper than sleep. And an exhaustion that however many days off this week is not going to solve for you. And the reason for this is, as one pastor named Rich Valotis put it, the fatigue we experience is multi-layered. Okay, so there's the fatigue of the body. We don't get as much sleep as we need. We push our bodies to the limit and we live off of cups of coffee and Red Bull. There's also the fatigue of the mind. In a given day, we are bombarded with ceaseless information that we have no time to absorb or process. And then ultimately, there's the fatigue of the soul, where people who have little margin to be with God and to foster a life-giving rhythm for the long haul. So I have to imagine that you're experiencing some of these, if not all of these, layers of fatigue, of body, of mind, of soul. But the Sabbath rest that God provides, that this passage is revealing to us today reaches to all of these layers. Renewal for the body, renewal for our minds, renewal for our souls. But how do we enter in? How do we experience it? Well, if you're taking notes, first, surprisingly, the author of Hebrews, the pastor here in his sermon begins with fear. If you ask me, this seems like an odd place for the author of Hebrews To begin, when he's talking about motivations for entering into God's rest, he begins with fear. Let us fear, verse 1, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's odd. But it's here, and as you know, if it's here in the Bible, it's here for us. We should fear. And that fear should drive us to enter God's rest. Fear lest you fail To reach it. Now, before I explain what is being said here, I want you to notice that the author includes himself in this. So he is not talking down to some in the church, he is referring to all. He's not just talking to backsliders or those who have sort of drifted from the faith, but all believers need this fear. In fact, he includes himself. Let us fear, he says. And so this is a kind of fear that we cannot lose. This is a fear that we need to retain all throughout our Christian journey. But what does this mean? Well, a commentator named Thomas Schreiner, he put it this way. This is not a paralyzing fear that disables us. This is not a crippling fear. Instead, he says, this is the kind of fear that stimulates actions. And so he illustrates this. He says, like the fear that motivates mountain climbers to ensure that all of their equipment is working properly, that healthy fear that double-checks everything, making sure that the harness is snug, making sure the carabiner is snapped in place, making sure the climbing rope is intact, making sure, double-checking, triple-checking, everything is right before the climb. And so this is a kind of healthy fear that one sees the magnitude of what is before them, but also who those who see the high stakes that are involved in this journey. So there's a bit of of reward, yes, but also risk. This is a risk and reward analysis when it comes to the life of faith. And it is calling for, number one, a tremendous awe. God has invited us into his eternal rest to experience his abundance and joy forever. So there's that kind of awe fear, but also there is a timeless fear Of missing out, like the generation of Israel being mentioned here in Psalm 95 and in Hebrews chapter 4. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's quoting from Psalm 95. He's really picked up on this passage multiple times, but he's again using Psalm 95 as an illustration and showing us that the generation of Israel in the wilderness for those 40 years, they're like a cautionary tale for us today. They're sort of like an older sibling. Older sibling, any older siblings in the house today? Okay, yeah, lots. Older siblings have a hard hard job. Older siblings have to go first. They've got a trailblaze. They make the mistakes. They get bushwhacked. They learn the hard way. Why? So that hopefully, by God's grace, their younger siblings learn from their example. Now, there are positive examples, older siblings, but there are also cautionary tales. And the author is urging us, do not repeat the mistakes of your older sibling. Don't repeat the same mistakes of the Hebrew people in the wilderness. Don't follow in their steps. Learn from their disobedience. Pay attention to the outcome of their unbelief. Pay attention to the outcome of their hard-heartedness. Don't you see what it costed them? Don't you see the result in their life? Don't you recognize what they forfeited? And allow this to motivate a healthy fear that causes you to not want to go down that route as well. Fear. What's essential to entering God's rest? Secondly, if you're taking notes, faith. Faith. Look at me again in verses two through three. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by Faith with those who listened, for we who have believed enter that rest. So, what we have in common with this generation in the wilderness is that we've heard the message. The invitation to be with God in peace and in joy, that welcome into his rest has been delivered. We have heard it. If you've heard this passage, if you're sitting under the sound of my voice, you have heard that invitation as well. But here's the thing. Simply hearing it is not enough. It's not. Because clearly they heard it. They had access. But they did not benefit at all because they didn't believe. So this is a sober warning for us today as well, that we must do more than just simply here, to be just passive listeners. Growing up in a believing family, reading your Bible every day, attending church every Sunday, listening to a theology podcast as you go, turning on worship music in the car, surrounding yourself with the things of God. This is good, but it is only beneficial if we believe. It's the difference between being near to the things of God And knowing God. Being surrounded with the things of God. And abiding in Jesus. And I want to be really clear right now. Christianity is an absolute waste of your time. If it is done apart from faith. It's only through faith that we receive the promises. And particularly the promises of God's rest rest for your soul it's all going to be out of reach until it is apprehended by faith an early church theologian from north africa named athanasius he referred to this as the appropriation of grace through faith now today appropriation has a negative connotation doesn't it But it's actually what we are being welcomed into in Christian faith. Appropriating means to lay hold of something that is not yours and make it your own. And we probably can imagine how that's applied in our day today. It means to to see something that is not naturally yours, that you're not entitled to, but still laying hold of it and making it your own. This is the invitation of faith. Faith lays hold of the promises of God that we are not naturally entitled to. Faith comes with empty hands and receives his grace. Faith clings to all that Jesus has done for us. Faith appropriate, faith uh, apprehends. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross, I cling. I bring nothing, I receive everything. That's what's on offer in Christian faith. Charles Spurgeon, he tells a story of when he was a young boy. When he was just this little boy, he saw a fly on the window. And he thought to himself, I'm going to catch that little fly. So he quietly sneaks up, moving slowly as he approaches, and then very quickly grabs it, closes his hand, brings it close to his face, opens his hand, and he realizes the fly's not there. It's still in the window. He thinks, okay, I'll try it again moves quickly, grabs the fly, opens his hand. It's still there. And what he says is, I didn't realize until I looked closer that the fly was on the other side of the window pane. And he was never going to catch it this way. And what it illustrates is how many of us are grasping at the benefits of Jesus. We want the things that Christian faith brings. We may not want them all. We're, we're kind of picky and choosy when it comes to those things. But we want the benefits of Christianity. We want the benefits of his abundance and his joy and his peace. We want a sense of freedom from our guilt. So we want forgiveness. And we want his rest. But we grasp at his benefits from the wrong side of the window pane, so to speak. Always reaching Never entering. Why? It's because they're only accessible through belonging to Jesus by faith. The Bible would describe this as being in Christ. In Christ. Second Corinthians 5. In Christ, we are new creations. Romans 8. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, being in Christ, John 1, means that we are now children of God. Romans chapter 6, in Christ, my old self is crucified with him. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, in Christ, I am now raised to new life and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and on and on and on. And here we see in Hebrews that it's by being in Christ we enter into God's rest. They're one and the same. What does it mean to be in God's rest? It means to be in Christ through faith. Outside of Christ, I am destined for exhaustion. Outside of Christ, I am destined for burnout. Outside of Christ, I am destined for restlessness. I can offer you zero hope for a life outside of Christ. I've got no answers for you, no hope for you, no joy for you, no abundance for you outside of Christ. But in Christ, I have rest for my weary soul. I've rest. And through abiding in Jesus, through trusting in his life, his perfect life, living obediently to the law of God, trusting in his sacrificial death where he took my place in death, trusting in his resurrection where Jesus conquered the powers of sin and evil and death itself. By trusting in Jesus, we enter into God's rest now and into eternity So what does this mean exactly? I I know, like I've studied long and hard on this and it still feels a little bit theoretical. Still feels very abstract to me. Like I'm in Christ, I'm in rest. What does it look like? Is it a substance? Is it a feeling? Is it a way? What does this mean? Well, number one, we experience spiritual rest today. There is a future dynamic that we're waiting for, but there is a dynamic of rest that we experience today. So how do we experience this rest in our souls? Number one, it means freedom from having to prove ourselves. Like I want you just to take a deep breath right now. In and out, there is zero expectation for the Christian to prove yourself to anyone. Not someone else, not even God himself. Take another deep breath because rest means freedom from having to work your way into God's family. There's not do this and do this and achieve and achieve and achieve, cross your fingers, and then maybe when you get to the pearly gates and St. Peter, you know, reads through your list, maybe you'll get in. Take a deep breath. There's nothing you have to do to work your way into God's family. What does rest mean? It means freedom from having to form an identity around our achievements. You're not the sum total of what you've accomplished in your life. You're not defined by your best. You're not defined by your worst. Take a deep breath. It means rest in the grace and the goodness of God. Take take a deep breath. It means resting in the sovereignty of God, which means that we don't have to live like we're in control anymore. We don't have to live like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. We don't have to live like all the outcomes are based on all the things that we do. Take a deep breath breath Christ has welcomed you into his rest today but it also means rest for the future and through faith we will one day enter into an eternal rest that is the rest that we are striving towards that is the rest that we are moving toward in the Christian journey faith is what causes us To persevere. And this is a theme that the author of Hebrews is going to come back to and back to and back to the need to keep going. The need to put one foot in front of the next, to persevere in faith until we enter our future rest to come in the restored creation when Christ comes back to make all things new. That final rest where there'll be no more death, strife, war, anything like that, sin, nothing. That kind of rest that we'll experience in the new heavens and the new earth. What's necessary for entering God's rest, if you're taking notes, number three. Flexible hearts. And I'm just going to be straightforward with you. I was reaching for my, my next word for my alliteration here, so bear with me. But I actually think it applies here. Hebrews 4, 6 through 7. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today. Saying, through David, in Psalm 95, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not what? Don't. Don't. I reserve um, clear commands to the church when only for instances I can say it very confidently because God is saying it to us. And you've got to hear me clearly. Do not harden your heart. Don't do it. What kept an entire generation from experiencing the rest of God and all of the joys of the promised land? It was hard hearts. It was stubbornness. It was being unbending. It was apathy towards God and the things of God. Now, how do we get hard hearts? How does a hard heart happen? a theologian from the 18th century described different ways that the heart becomes hard. He said, number one, there's the natural hardness of the heart. We're all born with it. You You don't do anything to get a hard heart. You're born with it. It's a heart of stone. It lacks spiritual life. It lacks motion. It lacks activity. It's senseless and stubborn and inflexible, that's what justified my acronym there, on which no impressions could be made but by powerful grace. In other words, we're born with this just hard disposition towards God. I don't want you. I don't want the things of you. I don't want you in control of my life. I want control. No thank you. It's a hard heart that can only be broken open by the grace of God himself. It's not something that we can choose to change well today i'm gonna have a soft heart it's something that grace must penetrate but then he also says there's the acquired kind the voluntary hardness of heart how do we acquire a hard heart he says it's through entertaining sin it's through unrepentance where over time Our conscience is so dulled and the sin pattern is formed into a habit. In other words, the voice of conviction is denied so many times, no, 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 that finally nothing breaks through. We are so hardened. We are so closed off. We refuse to be challenged. We refuse to be told we're wrong. We refuse to to repent. We refuse to turn to God in faith. We're just hardened. So what forfeits the hope of eternal rest? Hard hearts. Stubborn hearts, unrepentant hearts. Now there's good news here. Because one of the amazing promises of the gospel is that God doesn't leave us to our hard hearts. One of the the amazing parts of the gospel is that God gives us a new heart. It's what's known as the work of regeneration where the spirit comes into our lives and makes otherwise dead hearts alive. In fact, it's one of the promises of the new covenant that we have in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna replace that hard heart with a new heart that lives. And with that new heart comes tenderness. It's moldable. It's flexible. It's flexible. It's spiritually alive. And while we do receive these new hearts upon trusting in Jesus, God gives us this new heart. It is still a heart that we have to keep tender before God. We have to keep moldable before God. So how do we do that? Well, some ways to foster a tender, moldable, flexible heart, number one is through prayer. By coming to the Lord through prayer, which conditions our heart's independence. Worship is another way where we get our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances and onto God. How do we keep a moldable heart before God through fellowship? Isolation leads to hardness of heart. Being within Christian fellowship is what keeps us soft and moldable. Another way is confession. Why are you guys always talking about sin all the time? Why are you guys always confessing sin all the time? Because unconfessed sin, unrepentant heart, is hardening the heart. Another way is accountability. Invite someone into your life. Be vulnerable with someone. Let see someone see the real you. Put yourself out there. Take a risk. Another way is by Serving. Our whole life really is about self-serving. When we serve, we're getting our eyes off of ourselves and serving others. And when you begin to serve others, your heart is softened towards the lives of others through giving, through celebration. There are various ways that we keep our hearts moldable and flexible before God. How are we to enter God's rest? Fourth and finally, with fervency. Look with me again in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So these are two words that we wouldn't naturally put together, are they? aren't they? Striving and resting. Because the word here for strive carries the meaning of Intensity. It means a passionate pursuit of something. It means, quite literally, to live with fervency. I think about Jeremiah in the Old Testament who said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I have a passion within that I cannot contain. Fervency is the opposite of burnout. Fervency, to use a very old school Christian cliche, is being on fire. So clearly, faith in Jesus... And resting in his promises does not render us ineffective. It doesn't make us apathetic. Rest in the gospel doesn't make us people who are spiritually lazy. It doesn't make us people who are sleepy and disengaged. The rest that God provides brings spiritual energy. It brings fervency. I love the way that Mark Dever put it. He said, never be satisfied with a knowledge that leaves you unmoved to action. Do not be satisfied with a knowledge that leaves you spiritually lazy. Or in Titus, we're told this, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the gospel tells us that we are not saved by our good works. But the other side of that coin is we are saved for good works. You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. And this is such an important instruction, especially for those of us who have simply surrendered to our exhaustion, where we just sort of rolled over to being overwhelmed. Those who've begun to identify themselves with their fatigue. It's almost like who we are. I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. For some of us, our automatic response to opportunities, for some of us, our automatic response to God opening doors in our lives is no, I can't. I don't think I could do it right now. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the energy. I don't have the margin in my life without thought. It's it's an automatic no without prayer. It's an automatic no with no vision for our lives. We're not being driven by the commission of Christ. We're We're being driven and motivated by our tiredness. I don't think I can do that. We're allowing fatigue to direct our lives, and we're forgetting that for the Christian, we have the Spirit of God within us. The Scriptures tell us that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells within us, bringing life to our mortal bodies. Man, I am not willing to say that my tiredness is stronger than the Spirit of God. I'm not willing to say my exhaustion is greater than he. I've had a number of conversations with people recently as I'm trying to honestly understand why they've disengaged from the church. Honestly, just trying to listen, like, what's going on? Why people have stopped gathering with the church on Sunday, why people have disconnected from their small groups, why they've sort of just, like, stopped serving, pulled away from serving. And, and the same, it's the same answer every time. I'm just too tired. I'm just too overwhelmed. I'm too exhausted. No one, no one this year has said, I'm done with God. No one has said, it's too good. To be. No one said, I don't believe in Jesus. It's always, I'm just too tired. I'm too exhausted. I'm too overwhelmed. I need a break. I need rest. But I need to tell you, this completely, Misses the point. You do need a break. Hear me correctly. You need a Sabbath day. It's one of the 10 commands. There's a rhythm of working and resting. And the Bible forbids that we we, uh, overwork. The Bible, God does not want you to overwork. You do need a rest day. And you need a break from events. You need a break from busyness. You need a day to recharge. You need a day for your soul and your body and your mind to be replenished, but you do not need to rest. Hear me clearly. You do not need to rest from your faithful pursuit of Christ within Christian community. You do not need a break from Jesus, and you do not need a break from God's people. We restore our souls through fellowship and through prayer and through devotion to worshiping with God's people every single week. We don't need a break from this. This is our break. This is our rest. This is our recharging. This is where the life is flowing into our lives. And while God does want practical rest for our lives, we are being told very clearly here, we must strive to enter that rest. You will never drift into the rest that's being described here you will never drift into it. So there's a paradox here. Because in one sense rest is completely passive, right? We rest from our works. We rest in trying to make ourselves right with God. We we rest in what Jesus has accomplished for us. We rest in his strength. We depend completely on the spirit's work within us. And yet, we strive We persevere. We keep going. We keep showing up. We keep pressing in to the things of God that bring life and sustain us to the end. We keep placing ourselves where God's grace is flowing. Christianity isn't freedom from striving. Christianity is freedom from striving after the wrong things. It's not your activity that's making you tired. It's your wasted energy that's making you tired. It's your pursuit of trivial things that's making you tired. It's your energy being spent trying to prove yourself through your work or through your grades or even through your religious performance. It is misguided effort that is weighing you down right now. Many of us are exhausted because we're resting where we should be striving and we're striving where we should be resting. We're saying yes where we should be saying no and we're saying no in the places we should be saying yes. And that's the point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is forming something deep within our souls. It is causing us to become people who say no to the things that don't bring life so that we can give our full yes to him who brings life. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us into alignment with this true kind of rest, the kind of rest that becomes a way of life that's not just resting on Saturday but is resting all throughout the week because our rest is attached to something deeper than sleep. But the finished work of Jesus, we're on our busiest days and on our quietest days On our days where we're grinding and on our days where we're doing nothing at all, we can experience gratitude, contentment, joy, a sense of freedom. We can take a deep breath. Why? Because we're abiding in Jesus. The one himself who said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the rest you need. So I want to end with a quote I began with last week from St. Augustine. In his prayer, in his famous confession, he said, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Your heart will remain restless until it rests in him. Let's rest in him, amen? Father, we are...